Yahweh, open the eyes of our understanding, give us wisdom and knowledge and truth, lead and guide me, let me remember the things that I've studied, and most of all, let me present them in a way that is easy to understand for all ages. Father, I pray that through these sermons, we would see the value and the worth of Your daughters that You love, take care for, and use in a mighty way and have throughout history. I pray these things to You, Father Yahweh, through Your Son. Amen. Genesis chapter 3. Thank you, Son. Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that Yahweh Elohim had made. He said to the woman, Did Elohim really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, Elohim said you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, Elohim knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like Elohim, knowing good and evil. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of Yahweh Elohim walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid themselves from Yahweh Elohim among the trees of the garden. So Yahweh Elohim called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I had commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, The woman you gave to be with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate. So Yahweh Elohim asked the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, It was the serpent. He deceived me, and I ate. And Yahweh Elohim said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains and you will bear children in anguish. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will dominate you. And he said to Adam, Because you listened to your wife's voice and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. 
The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your face until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it, for you are dust, and you will return to dust. Adam named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Yahweh Elohim made clothing out of skins for Adam and his wife, and He clothed them. Yahweh Elohim said, Since man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out and also take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So Yahweh Elohim sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove man out, and east of the Garden of Eden he stationed cherubim with a flaming, whirling sword to guard the way to the tree of life. May Yahweh bless His Word to our hearts today. There's a lot in that chapter. We're going to talk about some of it today. To be a student of Holy Scripture is a very enlightening thing. A student should never think that they are beyond learning. It's foolish to believe at any given point in your life that you have everything that there is to know figured out. Now, we say amen to this. We claim to believe these things. We say that we are open to change. I'm not really so sure that we mean it. Now, I say this because I see so few people study the Bible and change their mind on something. I see more people that are eager to speak than they are to listen. Grandmama said the Lord gave us two ears and one mouth so we would listen twice as much as we spoke. Your grandmama might have said the same thing too. Well, I hear so many also that want to stick their feet in the ground firmer and not hear other people give their perspective. So, I have been learning over the last year or so, and I've been doing some changing in the way that I view the female gender. Um, Not just in Scripture, but also in history and in the modern day. I have loved my wife ever since I met her and knew that I was going to marry her. And I would have never said that I devalued women in general or did not believe that they had as much worth as men. Those words would have never came out of my mouth. But it's one thing to say something. It's an entirely different matter to really believe that something and show that you believe it by how you live. So I ended last week's sermon by saying that I preached around approximately 700 sermons in my life. And other than a four-part series through the book of Ruth, I cannot remember any sermon that I have taught that focuses on the value and the worth of women. So that's why I'm preaching this series now. started last week. I'm going to pick it up this week and for several weeks to follow. Now, I have preached on how women should not be. I heard a lot of preachers preach on how women should not be. I have preached on what women can't do, and I've heard a lot of messages about what women can't do. I've told wives that they need to submit to their husbands. Some of the things that I have said have been just and true. 
Other things that I've said over the years have been unbalanced and more tough on women than on men. Why is it that many preachers can't preach about women without telling them what they should not be doing or what they can't do? Why is it that those are the sermons that I have heard solely growing up? If I were to teach a series on the most righteous men in Scripture, I would pick men obviously like the Messiah, but that goes without saying. I'd pick other men like Moses and Elijah, uh, maybe King Hezekiah, King Josiah. I don't think that I would get much kickback from that series. No one would think, well, he should instead be telling men what they shouldn't do or be telling men what they can't do. No one would shake their head no, they would probably shake their head yes and say amen and not think twice about that kind of preaching. Yet if a preacher preaches a series on righteous women in Scripture, how women have just as much value and worth as human beings as men, and how Yahweh has used women throughout history to accomplish much good in this world, this kind of preaching gets all kinds of kickback. I talked with a brother yesterday that taught a sermon that I did not know he was going to teach that he titled Righteous Women in Scripture. And after he taught that sermon, he got a message from someone that said, I won't be coming back to the church. That was a waste of my time. How is teaching through the Scriptures about righteous women, holy women, valued women, Proverbs 31 women, how is that a waste of anyone's time? But yet when you preach things like this, the things that I have already heard, the things that I have already seen, are things like this. He's just trying to empower women too much. He's turning liberal. He's ignoring 1 Timothy 2 or 1 Peter 3. Women need to be made to submit. These are some of the things that I have heard said about this series and a series like this. But you know what? As a teacher of Scripture, I have to be faithful to Scripture the best that I know how at any current time. I cannot take my lead from what anyone just thinks or says. I can't worry about what I or anyone has always thought or believed. I cannot let it bother me when Christians who say they are open to a better understanding are not really interested in hearing a different exegesis than what they've always been told or believed. Now, this doesn't mean that every time you go to the Bible, you've got to think, okay, I've got to find something to change. That's not what I mean. What I mean, though, is, is that if we're really serious about saying that our minds are finite and we're limited creatures and we only understand certain things at certain times and then Yahweh brings us up to more and more levels of understanding, then eventually as we read and study and learn, there must be something that we change our minds on. If I believe the exact same way 30 years from now that I do now, I'm not studying the Scriptures and my actions are showing you that I believe that I really do have everything figured out. So we have to be honest. At the same time, I genuinely believe that a love for Yahweh and His truth is a gift. 
I do not believe anybody can muster it up. I don't believe that it comes by human nature. I don't believe that someone can teach you to love Yahweh and keep His commandments. Nobody can teach you that. I believe that it has to initially be given to a person before they are able to be molded and shaped into the likeness of the Messiah. And so because I believe that, I remain patient with people. Because Yahweh has been patient with me. Never forget that. Never forget that. Because Yahweh has been patient with you, you ought to be patient with others. So I open up this lesson today in repentance. I would have never said that I devalued my wife. I would have never told anyone that I thought my wife was less than me. But some of the ways that I have practiced being a husband and some of the ways that I have spoken to her have shown that I did not value her as my equal in humanity. I did not look at her as Genesis 2.18 says, the great Azer helper that she is. I have not always spoken to her in a respectful manner, but instead I have sometimes treated her as secondary to me in salvation. Now, these are not easy things for me to say. It's not like I get all excited saying, well, I get to say these things at Sabbath service. But I am a pastor. I, I prefer the word minister because the word minister means to serve. And the best way to lead as a pastor is in humility and with a good example. First uh, Peter 5 talks to the elders. Peter says that the elders should not lord over the children, but be an example to the flock. A good leader does not bark orders. A good leader does the hard work in order to show his wife and his children that he cares. And I'm trying to do better in my life. I'm trying to value my wife in the same way that Yahweh values her. Not because of her just being married to me, but by herself. Because she's a creation in the image of Yahweh too. Yahweh loves her all by herself, just like He loves me all by myself. Now, what a way to start a sermon, right? Well, that's how I feel. And I don't believe in putting on a facade or trying to act a part up here. I'm just me. I'm just Matthew. And that's the best way for us all to be. There's so much temptation and so much pressure in the world today to be something that we're not. And I don't think that's a good thing. I, I just be myself. And always be open and honest because Yahweh already knows every little detail about you, even the secret things that you don't think anybody else knows. Yahweh already knows in detail. Minutiae. So just be open and honest with, you, with yourself, with Yahweh, because we'll never heal from a problem that we're not willing to admit that we have. So I open today with Genesis 3. Why did I open with Genesis 3? Because as I go through these lessons, I know that eventually it's going to come up. Somebody's bound to ask me, how does the fall into sin affect or view the female? How does Genesis 3 view Eve? It's been believed and taught inside the church and outside the church by believers and from unbelievers that the fall, according to Genesis 3, was the fault of the woman. Eve was the one who was deceived by the serpent 
Eve was the first to partake of the forbidden tree in the garden. Eve is now required to be a slave to Adam. And this entire problem that we have had ever since that time is due to the woman. Here's a sample from an old Elvis Presley song in the 1950s called Hard-Headed Woman. Part of that song says this, Now Adam told Eve, Listen here to me. Don't you let me catch you messing around that apple tree. Oh yeah, ever since the world began, a hard-headed woman been a thorn in the side of man. Elvis Presley didn't write the song, but he sure did sing it. I want to present an alternate view today. The view that I'm presenting is not brand new. It's been believed by other Christians before. And I believe that it takes a more balanced approach that is most importantly faithful to everything that we see in Genesis chapter 3 and the rest of Scripture. Now, the first thing that I want to say, and I want to make sure that you understand, is this. I am not saying that women are less sinful than men. I believe both my wife and I are sinners, but by the mercies of Yahweh. If the mercies of Yahweh were not in my life and in my wife's life, we would not be here today. We would be in the world and of the world. The same holds true for not just Adam and Eve or Tisha and Matthew, but the same holds true for all men and women. This lesson is not about who is a worse sinner between the sexes. We have all fallen short of the glory of Yahweh. We have all transgressed His law in many ways. We have all willfully sinned at one time or another. Every one of us in here has willfully sinned at one time or another. What I mean by willfully is we knew the right thing to do, but we did wrong anyhow. And this is my point. Both male and female sinned in Genesis 3. Both male and female fall under the curse of sin and death. Both male and female are equally sinners and both male and female can equally be redeemed and saved from sin. We should not look at Genesis 3 and come away from reading that thinking, well, if Eve had only not done what she did. No, we should read Genesis 3 and think this, all of us, both men and women, would have done the same thing had it been us back in Genesis 3. The reason I know we would do the same thing is because we have already done the same thing. We have all sinned and transgressed the law of Yahweh. Now there have been a few ways that this chapter has been used to teach more against the woman than against the man. While both Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, if we are going to place any heavier weight of responsibility upon one of them, wouldn't we put it on the one whose role is the leader? As I was putting this message together this week, every time I'd sit down to study, something that Brother TJ said in his messages in Ephesians 5 would ring out in my mind. At the end of one of his sermons, he said, who is to take the first step? Who is to go first in showing, in service, in marriage? And he said, well, who took the first step when we look at Christ and us? It was Christ. And as husbands, we're definitely not Christ. But we're supposed to exemplify Christ. Now, I remember 
when I first started working with Brother Arnold back in 97 before I got married and we would go out on the job site and sometimes we would hit a water line as we would dig. I know I know, y'all are familiar with that, surely. Sometimes I've taken a probing rod to try to find a septic tank and probe right through the middle of a water line and water come up. That's like hitting the lottery. But I've done that before. But we would hit a water line Sometimes a power line, sometimes even, I remember once in specific that I was out helping Brother Arnold and we hit a gas line. And it would be bad anytime that that would happen, but I wasn't the one in charge. So I, the worry was not on my shoulders as much as it was on my superior, on the one whose role was the leader. Brother Arnold and I both had value out on the job site. He was the leader. And I was the helper. Now fast forward to current day. We're here in 2020, 23 years later. And I am now often the one in charge on the job site. And with that position or that role comes more responsibility and more accountability. If something goes wrong on a job that I'm out there in charge on, guess who it comes back to? Me. And now it's gotten to the point where... Brother Arnold will tell me, you take care of it. You're in charge. (laughs) That's okay because I've worked my way up to that position, see. But if we believe that the roles and the functions that Scripture gives for both men and women, as the role of the man is the leader protector, the Messiah, the role of the wife is the church, if we believe in those roles, then I'm inclined to think that the greater weight of responsibility falls on Adam rather than Eve. Remember that Adam was created first. Genesis 1 and 2 teaches that. 1 Timothy 2 teaches that. And the word first in both Hebrew and Greek cannot just mean first in order, but first in rank. It can mean chief. As a matter of fact, in 1 Timothy, it's translated chief in chapter 1, but yet first in chapter 2. There's no problem with that, but we have to understand first and chief are sometimes synonymous. Adam was given the role of leader in Genesis. He and his wife were created equal in value and worth and in dignity, but Adam functioned as leader and protector over his wife. So when Yahweh confronted the two humans about their sin, in Genesis 3, verses 8 through 11, let's look at that again. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of Yahweh Elohim walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid themselves from Yahweh Elohim among the trees of the garden. So Yahweh Elohim called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And in Hebrew there, the word you is in the singular tense. Whereas in other times in Genesis, you wouldn't get this from English, but sometimes in Genesis, the word you is plural in Hebrew. Speaking to both the man and the wife. Earlier in Genesis 3, it's plural. Here in verses 8-11, through 11, it's singular because he's talking to the leader. And he said, Adam said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And then he asked, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I had commanded you not to eat from? Then in verse 12, the man replies, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate. Adam tried to pawn off the responsibility on Eve. That would be like me hitting a gas line and trying to pawn off the responsibility on Josiah. But I'm accountable. I'm responsible. I'm the leader. Well, you should have been watching better. Where were you at when I was digging? 
the helper you gave to me, he made me do it. (laughs) Notice that Adam doesn't just try to pawn off the responsibility on Eve. Catch this now. He tries to put some of the responsibility for his sin on Yahweh. He says, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. How awful that is. And we still often try that game today. Eve did it too. When you got to Eve, she said it was the serpent's fault. Always trying to play the blame game. We love to blame our sin on someone else when our sin is always our own fault. Every man sins because he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So let's move on from here and look at some of the ways that I believe Eve has wrongfully been degraded in theology. The first way is in Genesis chapter 3, verses 2 through 3, where people believe that Eve added to the command that Yahweh gave. Anybody ever heard that one? I heard it all my life. Eve added to the command because when she repeated the command, she didn't just say that Yahweh said, don't eat from the tree, but she said, neither shall we touch it. So she added to the command. She didn't trust Yahweh's command. And because we shouldn't add to or take away, that she did wrong. She manipulated Scripture. That's Genesis 3, verses 2 through 3. Well, first of all, when this command was given by Yahweh, Eve had not yet been taken out of Adam. Only Adam was there as a single person with what made up the woman, what would later become the woman, inside of him, in his side. So the command from Yahweh is found in Genesis 2, 16-17. And Yahweh Elohim commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Or some say the Hebrew should be better rendered, you will be doomed to die. So if Adam alone was told this command in Genesis 2 before Eve was taken out of him, then how do we know that he is not the one that added to the command when he related it to Eve? She got the command secondhand from Adam. So he might have added, do not touch it if we are going to take that route. But I don't think we have to even take that route to start with. I think that Adam nor Eve, either one of them added to the command. I don't think either one of them manipulated what Yahweh had commanded. I think they just transgressed the law that Yahweh gave. Reaching out to touch the tree is a step in the process of eating from the tree. So when Eve spoke this to the serpent in Genesis 3 verse 3, she could have just been saying, we're supposed to stay away from partaking of this tree of knowledge of good and evil. Partaking would happen in one, reaching out, two, touching, and three, Eating. Now look at Genesis 3 verse 22. After the sin in the Garden of Eden, the male and the female were driven out. And in verse 22 we read this. Yahweh Elohim said, Since man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out and also take from the tree of life and live forever. See that word also in verse 22? That's the flip side of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And it wasn't that one was a bad tree and one was a good tree. Yahweh, that was Yahweh's paradise. It was just one of them they were not to eat from. And the other one, after they sinned, they weren't allowed to eat from at that point. But the knowledge of good and evil tree is the flip side of the tree of life. 
Yahweh is saying that as they reached out and took from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they will not be allowed now to also reach out and take from the tree of life. Yahweh uses reaching out and taking in His description of partaking from the tree of life in verse 22. So it stands to reason that the same would apply to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now I believe that Moses wrote the book of Genesis. Moses probably used reaching out and taking from the tree of life in verse 22 as an end cap to what he wrote about what Eve said in verse 3, reaching out or touching and taking from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It was probably a beginning cap and an end cap in that Hebrew story. So I don't think that Adam or Eve added to the law that Yahweh gave. I think Eve was just pointing out the logical step progression in Genesis 3 verse 3. In order to partake from the tree, you must reach out or touch and then eat from that tree. Whatever it was. I don't, by the way, agree with Elvis Presley that it was an apple tree. Okay, No, that's pretty common. But he said, don't you catch, don't we let you uh, something. Messing around that apple tree said something like that. So, But we don't take our theological points from Elvis Presley, hopefully. So, But what about this? What about... Eve partaking of the tree first. Wasn't she the first person deceived by the serpent in Genesis 3? Wasn't Eve the first one to sin? It's very popular that this is taught here. Well, a couple of things. Eve was deceived. We read about that directly later in the New Testament book of 1 Timothy chapter 2. Eve was deceived. But there are a couple of things that are often overlooked when it comes to this. First off, look at Genesis 3, verse 6. Genesis 3, 6, Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Did you catch that? Her husband Adam was with her while this was going on. And for whatever reason, he did not protect her and stop her from what was happening. So Eve was the first to partake of the forbidden tree, but Adam was the first to sin because he did not lead and protect his wife in righteousness. Now let me develop this a little bit more. I've thought about this. It reminds me of times when as leaders, anybody that is a leader of anything, I think should be able to comprehend this. Sometimes as leaders, we allow things to happen even though we know better. We don't want to upset the apple cart. We don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. We don't want to make somebody upset. So we let something slide. Usually it starts off as a little something and sometimes it snowballs into a big something and then we have to step in and take care of a bigger problem. I know that I've done that before. Well, Adam was with Eve. He was right there when she partook of the forbidden tree. Yet he did not stop her even though he knew what was taking place. While Eve was deceived, which means being tricked into thinking something is okay when it's not, Eve was deceived, Adam knew the wrong that was taking place. Not only does 1 Timothy 2 later tell us 
that Eve was deceived, it also tells us point blank that Adam was not deceived. That doesn't mean Adam didn't sin. It means he sinned willfully. He knew what was going on and he did it anyhow. So while both of them sinned, and a sin is a sin either way, willful or ignorant, if I asked you, and I asked myself this question, which one is worse, sinning ignorantly or sinning willfully? Which would you say? I would say willful sin is worse than ignorant sin. All sin is sin. It's still a sin if you sin ignorantly and you don't know, but you sin, it's still a sin. But I think it's worse if you sin willfully. It's worse to be fully aware of what's going on. And you know you shouldn't do wrong, but you do it anyhow. What we're seeing here is that this picture that some have had in Christian history that the fall into sin lays heavily on the fault of the woman is actually not as clear as some have painted. I would say that both male and female sinned in the garden and were therefore both sinners before Yahweh and fell under the curse as a result. Yet I would then say that the responsibility lays more heavily on Adam, the man, due to his role as leader, chief, and protector. And I do think that this is what we see explained later on as we continue to read in the Bible. We eventually get to the New Testament and there's a letter called Romans. And in Romans chapter 5, there are two people that are mentioned. Adam and the Messiah. Eve is not mentioned. And the Apostle Paul says that through one man, and he names the man Adam, sin entered into the world. And death to all men, and because of that all have sinned. In contrast with the one man, Adam, that sinned, it says also through one man there will be many that are made righteous. And that man is Yeshua of Nazareth. So the point is, is that as we keep reading through the Bible, we eventually see that in the text about sin entering the world... Romans 5, which goes back to Genesis 3, the blame is laid on the man as the leader. Now, I know that sometimes it's hard for us men to hear this. And what I'm about to say is definitely hard for men to hear. And I know that because it's hard for me to hear. Okay? So I'm not just saying it's hard for you men. It's hard for Brother Matthew too. The level of spirituality in your home, men is dependent upon how spiritual you are. We are required to wash our wife with the Word of Yahweh that she may become holy and blameless by the example and the tone that we set in the home. Just like Christ did for the church. A home that has a dedicated husband and father who serves Yahweh will more times than not be a righteous home. You watch. You take note of, of homes that have a righteous husband that serves the Creator and serves his neighbor. And you watch more times than not, that home is going to be a righteous home. Likewise, if a home is chaotic and unrighteous, more times than not, generally the man, the husband, the leader of the home will be unrighteous and won't be serving the Creator or his neighbor. Men, we should lead in humility and give a holy example to our wife and to our children. And so that means that we men have to constantly reevaluate ourselves rather than try to find someone else to put the blame on. And that's something I have been working on a lot. 
I have people come at me with all kinds of questions and deep theological things and conspiracy theories and all these kind of things. And I always tell them, said, look, I'm still trying to be a better husband and a better father. That's what I'm working on. Go talk to somebody else about that other stuff. I'm centering in on Yahweh's will for my life. Now, I want to cover one more point before I close today. Um, in the last half of Genesis 3, it covers how the serpent, the woman, and the man are cursed due to what took place in the Garden of Eden. Now, most of the lines of the cursing are spoken to the serpent and to the man. It's actually Hebrew poetry there. Most of the lines are first to the serpent, and then the man is third in line, but most of the lines come to the man. But the woman has one verse dedicated to her. I think two or three lines, if I remember correctly, in Hebrew. And in Genesis 3.16, reading out of the Holman Christian Standard Bible, it says this, He, speaking of Yahweh, said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. Any woman that's had a baby knows that verse is true. You will bear children in anguish. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will dominate you. Now, this is one of those verses where I have changed my mind on how I understand something. The English Standard Version reads here, Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. Now, that is a translational license that they have taken. And a lot of your translations do it. And it is not always inaccurate. It is not always wrong. But this is why when you read the Bible, you need to have multiple translations. Because you have some Bible translations like Young's Literal, King James Version, World English Bible, 1901 American Standard Version, that are more faithful to a formal translation where it's more of a word-for-word equivalency. Now, this is not my notes. Let me just give you a tip. If you're someone that really likes to study the Bible and get into formal equivalency, literal rendering, buy what's called an interlinear Bible and read the English portion of the interlinear. Interlinear means more than one language. So you have Hebrew on one side and English on the other, and it's word for word. Nobody has messed with the word order or anything. And what that will do, if you're serious, what that will do is it will slow you down when you read, and you'll have to focus and understand. You'll understand, end up understanding in a greater way because your focus is, is so in tune. But you can get like a King James Version or a Young's Literal or... American Standard Version, and they will be more of a formal equivalent Bible. Um, Not knocking ESV or HCSB or NIV. I think those are good translations. But you should never limit yourself to one translation. We live in a day and time when we are so blessed to have so many Bible study tools at our fingertips. And I can punch a scripture in in just a couple of seconds and pull up 27 translations just like that online and compare 27 different translations. It's mind-boggling when you think about it. What would the ancients have done if they would have had that? So, the English Standard Version reads here in verse 16, Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. That's not a literal formal rendering. Literally, it said, Your desire will be for your husband or toward your husband. This verse is often read, and I have taught this before, as saying that the desire that Eve will now have will be to resist her husband. That's what the desire is. It's a bad desire. So a sinful desire to come against the husband is what a lot of people think Genesis 3.16 is talking about. Preachers teach, including myself in the past, that a woman is always someone who must be corrected 
rather than listen to. That's bad. That's bad because all of us at some times need to be corrected. And all of us at some time need to be listened to, both male and female. So I don't think that's the best reading of the text. Now I'm not saying, I am not saying that since the fall into sin that wives do not struggle with being submissive to their husbands. Remember Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. So there's mutual love, respect, and service there. We all struggle with sinful thoughts, including women. We struggle with sinful actions. What I'm saying is I just don't think Genesis 3.16 is best read as a contrary desire from the wife. I actually now think that verse 16 is talking about a good desire that the woman has towards her husband. Now, let me explain to you why I think this. Follow with me. In the context of the curses in Genesis 3, there will be desires to continue to fulfill the roles that were given in Genesis 1 and 2. Yet, those desires will be met with opposition. The roles given in Genesis 1-2 through are not lost in the fall. It's just that the fall makes it more difficult to fulfill those roles. Let me give you two examples and then we'll get back to 3.16. Think about Adam's role as worker of and watcher over the garden. He was put in the garden to dress it and to keep it, King James says. To work in it and to watch over it. That's Genesis 2.15. Does the fall into sin in Genesis 3 mean that Adam stops working and keeping a garden? No. He continues to do that role, but he's met with what? Resistance, opposition. Genesis 3.17-19 tells us that Adam will eat from the ground by means of painful labor. I've done a lot of gardening in my life, a lot of sweating. It's not easy work, especially if you keep it up every day. Old timer once told me, son, if you're going to have a good garden, you've got to work in it every day. And that is a lot easier said than done if you've ever done any gardening. So it's not an easy job. Well, the ground, Genesis 3 says, will now produce thorns and thistles and Adam will have to work by the sweat of his face. So garden production must have been easy prior to the fall, but after the fall it became difficult. Same role, but it's met with resistance. Same thing goes with being fruitful and multiplying. Adam and Eve, male and female, are told in Genesis 1.28, you're blessed, have dominion over the earth, the animals, and be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. They don't lose that role after the fall. It just gets more difficult. They still, for example, are to be fruitful and multiply. Noah and his family are told that in Genesis 9 verse 1. They get out of the boat and one of the first things Yahweh tells them is be fruitful and multiply to Noah and his family. Still have that role. But now, part of being fruitful and multiplying comes with what? Pain and anguish. Genesis 3 verses or verse 16 you'll bring forth children in sorrow and in anguish. Eve will have pain in carrying and birthing children, but being fruitful doesn't get taken away. It's just met with resistance. And I think contextually the same thing, this is what I lean towards now, I always remain open to more understanding, but I lean towards the same thing about the desire in Genesis 3.16. It's similar to the things that I just mentioned. Eve was created as Adam's Azer, his helper, Genesis 2.18. A helper meet or suitable for Adam. And I don't think that she loses that role after the fall. 
But the problem is, is that role as helper becomes more difficult because she's met with resistance. Being Adam's helper is now more difficult because it's after the fall and man will have a tendency to want to rule over the woman, dominate, HCSB, I think that's a good translation, to dominate over her, rather than be a servant leader. Um, The best way that we learn what it means to lead is by watching Yeshua. He led as a servant. He washed the feet of the man that was going to betray Him. There was a known sinner woman that came into a dinner meeting that she wasn't invited. And she began to wash His feet as she wept sorely. And the Pharisees were appalled and said that if this man was a prophet, they would know he would know what manner of woman this is. And he would not have let her do this. And then of course he tells them, she's more righteous than you guys are. And she's done this for me. And you haven't done anything. Servant leader. It's not that Eve lost her helper role. It's that the fall into sin messed things up. That's why we see so much chaos in the world. It all goes back to the fall into sin in Genesis 3. So while her desire is for her husband, I think that's a good desire. Still good to be a helper. She'll meet her husband's resistance. Just like Adam still works the garden, but he meets resistance. They still fruitful and multiply, but it's hard. Eve wants to be the helper, but she's met with resistance from the husband. The husband will seek to dominate or to rule as a tyrant rather than to love as a servant. And I know that's something that I've had to battle with in my own life. I always want the upper hand. Uh, Wanting to dominate rather than servant lead. Um, I promise you that as a leader, not just as a pastor, but as a husband or a father, that you will make more headway being humble and leading as a servant. So our goal is to get back to the Garden of Eden. That's our goal. That's really what the kingdom is going to be. We're not going to be sitting on a cloud playing a harp with a halo and wings for our whole life. We're going to be in an actual kingdom wherein dwells righteousness. A restoration of Eden. The Edenic paradise. That's what Eden means. The paradise of Elohim. And we can't entirely get back to that garden right now, but we can sure get started in the right direction. Especially after what Yeshua has done for us in His life, death, and resurrection. He's conquered so much for us in this life and what we lost in Adam can be gained back in the Messiah. As a matter of fact, immortality, which is a resurrection from death to everlasting life, that's a big thing that we lost in the garden, but it's gained back in Yeshua through what Yeshua did, what Yahweh did for us through Yeshua. So my main point today is to show that Genesis 3 does not teach a degradation of women to a greater degree than men. As some have suggested, Genesis 3 actually teaches a fall into sin by both the male and the female. Both are sinners. But when all the dust settles, I also believe that the greater responsibility falls or lies on the man's shoulders due to his leadership role in the marriage. So it is time that us men quit echoing Adam in Genesis 3.12 when he said, the woman you gave to be with me. It's her fault. Our sin is our own problem. Mm -hmm. This doesn't mean that women are not sinners too. It just means that they should not be held responsible for when we are bad leaders.
If anyone is to be held accountable, it's the person who has been given the role of the leader. We like the sound of that word leader. I'm the leader. Hear me roar. Until, until, until we realize the weight and the accountability and the pressure that comes with that job. But you just have to be a servant. Um, Don't think that when you're a leader, it means that you quit doing hard stuff. There's a lot of weight and accountability and work that comes with being a leader. Uh, We're going to be a servant. And if us men are going to be good leaders, we should set in a good example by repenting of our sin. Not just telling our wife and our children to repent, but showing them that we also have to repent. One of the things that I've learned, I've been a dad now for a long time, and one of the things that I've learned in being a good dad means that you are open about your faults with your children. How many know that when you're a dad and your children are little, they think you hung the moon? They think you can do anything. And then they grow up and they realize, oh, dad's got problems too. He's got faults too. Especially when they, you know, get older and married and have their own children and realize how hard life is and that it's not, it's not easy. Uh, that's why it's so beautiful. I was holding my granddaughter, Lila, today and just so innocent. She'll eventually sin like the rest of us. But right now, she's just so innocent, she doesn't know anything that's going on in the world, anywhere. We've got to be humble towards our wives and towards our children if we're going to be good leaders. Show them how to serve the Creator. Show them how to serve our neighbor. When we sin... Don't make excuses. Tell them we're sorry. Repent of our sin. Tell them we're going to try to do better. And then do better. Uh, Anybody can shout orders. But good leaders serve and respect other people. Amen. That's good leaders. So, hopefully you've learned some things today in this lesson here through Genesis 3. Um, I've got several... uh, different directions I could go next week. We'll definitely continue to talk about this subject. I'm not sure if I'm going to stay in Genesis or move into Exodus because there's so many great women to choose from in this series and I can't preach about all of them. So, uh, But we'll see what happens next week. So I appreciate you. I love you. And I hope you love me. Hallelujah. Praise Yahweh.